Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Thursday, January the 24th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Senior Bowl practices canceled. Absolutely brutal. We press on here on the podcast and scrap all the content planned and shift our focus. We'll get you caught up on the latest meets and news and developments from the Dolphins, including their coaching staff updates. And speaking of said staff, we're going to have an interview from our buddy Scott Mason of the Turn on the Jets podcast. He sat down with Detroit Free Press beat writer Dave Perkett to get some of his thoughts on Jim Caldwell, plus your senior bowl questions, all of that and much, much more. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the show at Law. Locked On Fins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one blog in the Locked On Network. And for all your draft podcast needs, of course, this podcast, but also the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and the Draft Dudes Podcast, both part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. So it's been reported that Brian Flores is meeting with the Miami Dolphins right now as I record this podcast on Wednesday night. And that is our leadoff batter for the podcast today. As Senior Bowl practice was canceled due to inclement weather, they were going to move things inside to an indoor facility, but I guess that fell through as well. So no updates on the practices there for you. Everything that happens between those walls, I guess we'll stay between those walls and we won't get to know any more about it. But we will be back on tomorrow's podcast talking about everything that happens on Thursday's events in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, getting you guys caught up on all the prospects and the practices. I will digest another five hours of content have it up on LockedOnDolphins.com as well as the podcast so we pass over the practice notes for Thursday with no notes from the Wednesday practice I am going to have that draft mailbag on this podcast so we'll get to that here in a minute but we should be hearing more about some official contracts being passed out to some assistant staff on the Miami Dolphins coaching staff under Brian Flores. Flores himself, of course, cannot become official until Monday after the Super Bowl, but they are going to offer him the job tonight in the Boston area, wherever that meeting happens, as Chris Greer left the Senior Bowl to get up there to meet with Brian Flores. So apparently, they feel it's not important to be there when people aren't practicing. I imagine Greer flies back down for Thursday for those practices, and the staff plans that Flores wants to have underneath him as far as assistance go will be discussed at this meeting. And speaking of meetings, We reported that Drew Locke and Daniel Jones, the Duke and Missouri quarterbacks, met with the Dolphins on Tuesday in Mobile. And Miami adds one more player to that list. Auburn quarterback Jared Stidham was the next person to go through the ringer with Dan Marino, who is conducting these quarterback interviews as he apparently now will have a bigger hand in the process for picking the next quarterback for the Miami Dolphins. A big change going from Mike Tannenbaum, who, let's face it, has been awful in that regard in his career up in New York and as well as in Miami. So Marino in charge with the quarterbacks, at least for now. And tomorrow is going to be back with an extensive, extensive Senior Bowl practice report. That podcast will be a lot like yesterday's podcast, but in the meantime, we'll go ahead and jump into a couple more news bits here that I found across the internet, across Twitter, and from Pro Football Talk, it sounds like Albert Wilson is healthy and getting back to full strength, and the progress is encouraging enough to the point to where they think 
Albert Wilson should be good to go for the spring program coming up pre-draft with the Veterans Report in April. So that's great news. Other news that's good for the Dolphins, Dowell Loggins agrees to be the offensive coordinator to the New York Jets under Adam Gase. They take their 31st ranked offense over to New York, and I'm sure we'll ruin that program up there as well. And then Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald had a great column up on his on the website today talking about some did bits with the Miami Dolphins. And the biggest bit in there was the idea that the Dolphins will trade or cut Ryan Tannehill once the new league year begins. So Ryan Tannehill, the era in Miami is coming to an end. We all knew it, but now it's almost officially official. And then last note here, it sounds like Darren Rizzi shopped his offers across the NFL and other teams would not come up to his cost and pay him what he wanted. So it sounds like there's a good possibility he comes back to Miami. Just got to connect the dots there to figure that out. So Flores keeping Rizzi and his staff would be a win for him. And that should become official sometime in the next week or two, assuming things continue to progress smoothly and amicably between the two sides there. So we'll finish up this first segment here because we have an interview in the second segment. It's going to run a little bit long, so I'll go ahead and cut right to that here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. If you guys recall, a couple of weeks ago, we had an interview from Scott Mason of the Turn on the Jets podcast, a longtime friend of the podcast here, and he was gracious enough to give me an interview that he had with a Cowboys insider regarding Chris Richard when we thought that was going to happen, but now we have some more concrete evidence in regards to Jim Caldwell joining the coaching staff here soon, as soon as Brian Flores can be finalized with his contract in Miami. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and turn things over here. To Scott Mason of the Turn on the Jets podcast, I cut this thing out a little bit because I talked too much Lions football in the beginning, and then they started talking more about Jim Caldwell as a coach, so I jumped about three and a half minutes into the interview, and I'll go ahead and play that here on the podcast for you. So I'll turn things over to Scott Mason of the Turn on the Jets podcast and Dave Perquette of the Detroit Free Press. When it comes to Jim Caldwell, George Bremer and a lot of other people have said this as well. Caldwell comes across once you look at his body of work and you watch him in action as a head coach as a guy who is a really good coordinator but shouldn't be the head man. And a lot of examples of bad clock management, in-game issues, roster management, so on and so forth. Is that what you saw with Jim Caldwell as Detroit Lions head coach, that maybe he's a guy that could run the offense but not the entire show? You know, I, I take a little bit different approach, too. And I think, again, when the Lions hired Caldwell, there were a lot of reports at the time, rumors at the time, I guess, that had they not hired him, that, that John Harbaugh was going to fire him as, as offensive coordinator in Baltimore. That You know, Caldwell took over the year before late in the season, final four games, if I remember right, where the Super Bowl run sort of caught lightning in a bottle. They didn't like what the offense did that second season. So in, in Talking to some Lions people, I think they knew that that maybe that wasn't Jim Caldwell's greatest strength was calling plays, but his greatest strength was 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 being a leader, you know, in, in the the respect that players had for him in the locker room. So I don't, I never viewed him as an offensive coordinator who was you know elevated above and beyond where he should have been. I, I viewed him as having some of these head coach, um, you know, the the traits that you look for in that position, especially the leadership. But I do think that, that George is right that. You know, when it came to game management, those were some of the things that, that Lions fans will, will tell you that he, he failed on. You know, everybody would point, especially to the uh, the Hail Mary that the Packers converted to beat the Lions a few years back when the Lions were playing a, uh, Jim Caldwell said at the time, they were playing for that pass back and forth kind of thing. They were playing for a lateral, and, and Aaron Rodgers threw a 60-yard Hail Mary on him and, and won the game on the final play. 
Dave, the Lions did have a winning record three out of four seasons, and they went to the playoffs twice. And I do have to throw this out there, and this is an amazing stat that I uncovered, and I am kind of shocked that this isn't something that would pertain to the Jets. Before Caldwell, who left the Lions with an overall winning record as head coach, the last guy to coach at least a full season, because there had been an interim coach that had done this, but the last guy that coached a full season or more and had a winning record as head coach of the Detroit Lions overall was back in 1972. So it had been 45 years. Do you think that a little too much was expected of Jim Caldwell? And maybe he was the victim of things going reasonably well at the beginning after coming off of that bad end of Jim Schwartz's tenure. And then people expected them to maybe overtake the Packers and maybe that wasn't realistic. No, look, um, all right. So Joe Schmidt, I think, was the coach that you referenced way yes. back. These former Hall of Fame players, great players, one of the, one of the best uh, all around, all time, you know, players in Lions history. And uh, Caldwell, honestly, had the, the winningest Lions coach in the Super Bowl era, so he did some good things in Detroit. But what got Jim is in Detroit is ultimately, I think, what happened in Indy too. Is look, there was just a, a regime change. I mean, that that first year they started great, right? They they were one of the best defenses in the NFL. Uh, finished 11 and five. The Packers were just juggernaut that year. They couldn't get past them. Year two, they were terrible. I mean, they started one and seven. And Caldwell fired his offensive coordinator uh, the day they leave for London to you know for a week seven game against the Kansas City Chiefs. They just get mopped off the field in London, uh, embarrassed. The, the Ford family that owns the team was embarrassed by the performance. They come back. They fire the general manager. They fire the uh, the team president. Caldwell has a nice little run at the end of the season. The Lions have a nice little run at the end of the season, finish 7-9. and nine. And Bob Quinn, who's hired that offseason, he takes the, 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 the general manager job a week into the offseason. Um, you know, look, could he have made a change at that time? Yeah, he probably could have, but he's also walking into a situation where the owner, who never talks publicly, says one line, I love Jim Caldwell. And again, you come in a, a week into the, the offseason where you've already missed the window to interview your, your, your Patriot friend, you know, the coordinators over there, who Matt Patricia, who they've obviously hired since. So I think that was just a situation of, look, Jim Caldwell's the best guy for this first year. The Lions make the playoffs that first year. They miss the playoffs the second season. That was really Bob Quinn's first opportunity to fire Jim Caldwell, bring his own guy in. I think it was just a matter of circumstance that I don't think Jim Caldwell was the best head coach in Lions history. Uh, again, he had that great record, but – I think ultimately why he was let go in Detroit was because the general manager wanted his own guy in in town, and and that's what it came down to. So one thing that George Bremer did say is that while he's not necessarily gung-ho about giving Jim Caldwell a third chance as head coach, that Sam Darnold, the 21-year-old potential franchise quarterback for the New York Jets, could do worse than to have Jim Caldwell as his head coach. He thinks that Caldwell could do some nice things with him. And this would obviously pertain to Tannehill or whoever ends up being the quarterback in Miami now that Caldwell's been hired as the quarterback coach there. What did you see from him working with Stafford? Did you see positive developments for Stafford under Caldwell? And do you think this would translate to doing well with other quarterbacks? Well, compared to this year, when, when Stafford struggled, I think you would, you would say that. I mean, look, I, you know, Matthew Stafford had some good years before Jim Caldwell. I'm sure he'll have some good years later on down the road here. Um, yeah, you know, Caldwell was always the guy that, look, you know, when he took over, he 
quarterbacks tend to improve in year six, seven, and eight more than, than ever. Than ever. And then when, when Matthew didn't have a great unit first year, he said, you know what, quarterbacks tend to improve in their seventh, eighth, and ninth years more than they, they do any, any other time. So there always seemed to be that built-in excuse, but it was sort of, hey, look, uh, I'm protecting my quarterback. Uh, we're going to get the best out of him. I think Stafford did play well for some of those years under Jim Caldwell. In fact, he had one of his best seasons ever in 2017. I don't know what, uh, what impact Jim Caldwell had on that versus Jim Bob Cooter, the, the quarterback coach, uh, the offensive coordinator. I think they all sort of played in. I would give um, Jim Caldwell, uh, I think he was part of the uh, the reason why Stafford had some good years, but I don't look at him as some sort of quarterback whisperer. I know he's not going to be the head man in Miami the way that he was in Detroit, but what did you think of Caldwell's ability to work with other coaches when he was with the Lions? Loyal guy. I thought he put together a pretty good staff in Detroit. Um, I know these, these coordinators are no longer in place, but Terrell Austin, uh, he, again, 2014, they had a really good defense. Terrell Austin, you might remember, he was talked about as being a head coaching candidate across the league for a couple of years. I think he went on eight or nine interviews, didn't get a job. Uh, Jim Bob Cooter, who that was called the second hire as offensive coordinator. Joe Lombardi was the first, fired him. And, and I, uh, I just think there was Stafford and Lombardi, there was a little bit of a disconnect there. I think Joe Lombardi is... I think he can do some good things as a play caller, but Cooter's a young guy this year. He was fired, but he was still the youngest play caller in the NFL, fired by the, the staff that inherited him or the coach that inherited him and, and Matt Patricia. But I think he put together a pretty good staff when he was in Detroit. And in fact, I would say that was one of the, the strong suits of, of, of Jim Caldwell. You know, Chris Caser, their defensive line coach, Tony Oden, their, their secondary coach, both of those guys were very well thought of. So, Dave, it sounds like you're saying Jim Caldwell was better as a CEO than a day-to-day, grinded-out, X's and O's type of coach. He definitely delegated. I mean, we see here with uh, the Lions now, you know, Matt Patricia is very involved. He's out on the field, you know, important drills, essentially, and, and he'll do it on offense, he'll do it on defense. Jim Caldwell was very much an overseer. He trusted the people that he hired to, you know, do the jobs that he put them in place for. So I, I think that was a strength of his. Um, you know, back to the, uh, the 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 staffing question. You know, the look when I remember when when the Lions, you know, when they put together that first staff, talking to some people, and they said, look, I, you know, I've heard good things about just about everyone that that he brought on board. And I do think, um, you know, there were there were some some guys maybe that that Caldwell uh, trusted a little too much. You know, some of the some guys that he had these personal relationships with. But you're going to find that with with every staff and every hire in the NFL, that that's a lot of, a lot of times how people get hired. So. I think, you know, in a in a year where there's not a whole lot of, you know, sexy candidates out there, I guess, there's not this one guy that every single team wants to have. I understand why Jim Caldwell is getting all these interviews because of some of the things he did in Detroit and Indianapolis. Seems like circumstances kind of got the better of him both in Indianapolis and with the Lions as far as regime changes and getting caught in the crossfire. Do you think he got a raw deal and he should get a third chance? Or do you think he's better off being a position coach or a coordinator the way that he's going to go be the quarterback's coach in Miami? Does he deserve another chance? I, I think yes, because of the way that both of those those situations went down. Right? I, I don't know that he ever got a fair shake in Indy because he lost Peyton Manning and, and things were just so bad that year that you know they decided they, they had to make a change. And, and I get it. I get why they made a change there. And same thing in Detroit. You know, he was... Um, he had a really good first year, terrible second year, and really they made the change because, uh, you know, because of the, the regime change. That, that's why he was sort of left out to dry. So, yes, I, I think Jim Caldwell, I think he, he, I don't think he ever got a fair shake as head coach to really see his program through. Now, would I hire him as a head coach? Look, I, I mean, I was, 
I was lukewarm with Jim Caldwell as the head coach. I, I didn't think he was the worst. I think players responded to him. They really respected him. I think that's a very big part of being a head coach. So I understand why some some teams may want to hire him, and I understand why that may be a very important thing for them. But um, you know, if I was hiring a head coach, I, I might look for uh, a younger offensive mind, a hotter candidate. You know, I, I think there are some other things that other candidates can offer that may be uh, better for a young quarterback like Sam Darnold. Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Good luck to you this coming year. I know it was a little rough with Matt Patricia the first year. Hopefully things go better for you guys. In so there goes Scott Mason of the Turn on the Jets podcast. Please check out his work and his Twitter account at Turn on the Jets. Also Dave Burkett of the Detroit Free Press. Great stuff there talking about Jim Caldwell as a leader, as a guy that can come in and command the quarterback room. Maybe not the best game manager or offensive play caller, but the good news is he's not going to be doing either of those things in Miami. Frankly, I am encouraged by that interview talking about Matt Stafford's growth going from a previous OC to Jim Caldwell that year and also the work that he did in Baltimore back in 2012 basically revamping a Ravens offense that was dead under Cam Cameron and getting them to a Super Bowl and winning the whole damn thing with Joe Flacco as his quarterback so encouraging stuff there we're going to finish up this podcast on the backside taking your Twitter questions for the draft coming up in April we'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. You guys never disappoint on these Twitter mailbags. 35 questions rolling in. There is no way I can get to those here in the next 5-10 minutes we have on the podcast. I'll try to round it out on tomorrow's Friday podcast. Let's just go ahead and jump right in and get to as many as we can. English is hard. We're going to jump right into this thing here real quick and take questions from the bottom up this time. And as I read this first one, it's not really a question, just a statement. So make sure we're keeping them to questions if you want to get them read on the air. This first one here comes from Sports Fanatic at Dribble for, Dribbler for Life. How would you feel about picking Montez Sweat at 13? I have him as a mid to late first rounder. I, I think it's too high for him. I think there's plenty of other guys that could come in and underclassmen that aren't at the senior bowl there would be better options there Cleveland Farrell to me is one of the best possible options at that spot I also want to think about more interior guys that high up I know the edge rushers are everybody's kind of premier position but the game is changing man like if you can get pressure on the inside you can't help that you can't double that you can't add extra blockers and chippers you can do that on the outside but once guys go inside the interior pressure with strong man coverage in the back I hope that's the new mold in Miami And I think that the new defense under Brian Flores is going to put a greater emphasis on linebackers and outside linebackers opposed to pure, true pass rushers off the edge with their hand in the dirt. So I think that interior guys are going to get higher value from me going forward. Next question here comes from San Marino at Lolita Wanted. (laughs) That's a great name. If we apparently want to be bad with the intention of a target of a quarterback early in 2020, is it even worth taking some guy in the mid to late rounds? That's a great question because you look at all these teams, like last year, the Senior Bowl, for instance, Mike White, Brandon Silvers, Kyle Walletta, everybody loves these guys this time of year. And then the draft rolls around and they fall to the third, fourth, fifth, even sixth round with Luke Falk. And then what happens to him? Davis Webb got cut from the Giants after one year. Kyle Walletta, he's not the future beyond Eli Manning. So yeah, that's a great point. These picks can be wasted at times. You just have to make sure you get the guy that is going to come in and absorb the playbook and be more of a teacher and a learner, a guy that really can 
kind of galvanize the quarterback room opposed to a guy that's going to be a good player on Sundays because a backup quarterback has so many more roles than playing on Sundays, obviously. And I think that a guy like Gardner Minshew, for instance, would be a great option in that seat. There's a reason Matt Moore had such a long life with the Miami Dolphins, and it wasn't his play on the field. He was a great teammate and a great presence in that quarterback room. So that would be my first thing I look at in those late rounds, San Marino. It's honestly a great question. Next one here comes from Ryan Norwood. He is at our Norwood six. Murray, Locke, and Haskins all gone by 13. Who do we take? I think the best option at that point would be to look to trade down and acquire more picks in those middle rounds. I think that the offensive line glut in that 20 to 50 range, I talked about it on Twitter and the podcast yesterday, that I think that if the Dolphins can go down and get multiple picks in that area and they don't find the quarterback, you can actually rebuild the trenches the way you've been talking about the last couple of weeks leading into this offseason. So I would go back there and look for a center like Elgin Jenkins from Mississippi State, maybe Chris Lindstrom from Boston College, the guard. Start looking at the interior offensive line prospects and maybe even cornerbacks too because there are plenty in this draft that could be the second cornerback outside of Xavier Howard. And if you're going to pay Xavier Howard big money, it would be very nice to have a cheap contract at that second spot. So interior offensive line, cornerback, maybe go edge rusher. It's too early for me to give you a great answer on that, Ryan, but my first response would be to go ahead and trade back. Next question here comes from TBG. He's at TBGMTG. Easy enough. This draft is so deep with defensive line. I think Flores goes that route to build up his D. Well, that's not a question, so let's go on to the next question. It comes from uh, Tommy Call the third at Tommy underscore three. If Jonah Williams falls to 13, do you pull the trigger? That's another great question because I heard the guys on the Stick to Football podcast talking about how he's, for whatever reason, it's weird that it happens this time of year, he's starting to lose some of that buzz and momentum, and the senior bowl can do that as far as pushing guys up that are seniors, and underclassmen can kind of have the opposite effect and go backwards, and it's going to depend on how he works out at the combine. As far as for the Dolphins, I say no because I want to re-sign Juwan James. And I think with Laramie Tunzel and Juwan James, that's a top five tackle tandem in the NFL. I would just love to get our Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith on the inside and just build that thing in the middle if that's the route we're going to go. Next question here comes from Javier at JJ Castaneda. Are there any tradable players on the roster for draft picks? Do you see them trading back and loading up on picks? Look, I think Xavier Howard's the first one that you're always going to hear in regards to that conversation. And the reason you think about it is because the contract he's about to get. When Xavier Howard signs a deal, it's going to be the biggest cornerback contract in the NFL. I would pay it because the Dolphins have plenty of room to wiggle with after they get rid of all these bad contracts under the Mike Tannenbaum wing. So I don't want to get rid of our best player, but he would be a guy that would fetch a first round draft pick in return. So if you want to go up for the quarterback, I would do it then. So that's the only option for me to trade Xavier Howard. Now, as far as other guys, it's best to look at guys at the end of their contracts. And Kenyon Drake is one of those guys that there really isn't a lot of tread on the tire. So I think it'd be a bad idea as far as what you can get in return for him. So I wouldn't move him. I think maybe Bobby McCain could be a possible trade guy. But other than that, there really aren't that many guys that favor the Dolphins as far as trading them and getting higher value other than Xavier Howard and maybe Kenyon Drake. But like I said, I don't want to trade either of those guys unless it's to go up and get Kyler Murray. Next question here comes from Javi Toyos at J Toyos. He asks, would GM Wingfield, nice, move up for anyone other than Murray? If so, who is it? No, I wouldn't. I I wouldn't go up for Haskins. And I think that going up for anybody other than a quarterback this year just would not be smart business by the Dolphins. So a quick no on that one. Like I said, though, if Kyler Murray is within range, 
absolutely do it. He's a franchise changer of a player, and I would go all in on Kyler Murray. Next question from Stu Rim. He is at Stu underscore Rim. Would you prefer the Dolphins to stay at 13 and take BPA or move down and accumulate more picks? I know your preference is Kyler Murray, but let's just say that's not an option. Yeah, that's definitely got to be a caveat because I'm all about that guy. But I think that if Kyler Murray's not there, my option is to trade down. I talked about it on the previous question. Get those interior lines built up on both sides of the football, pressure the quarterback up the middle, and run the football up the middle, and we can start talking about being a good team consistently year in and year out. So trade back is my first choice. Next question here from Steve C. He is at Stevie Splash 11. And actually, this question was just answered previously, so I appreciate the question, Steve. But yeah, I would look at offensive line in that second round 100% for sure. Next question here comes from Terry Welch at FinFan for Life. Who would be your choice as a late round sleeper at quarterback in this draft? Easy. And I'm a WSU Coug. I go there right now. Gardner Minshew was so much fun to watch. He just galvanized that football team and brought an energy to the city of Pullman when everyone thought that Luke Falk graduating meant that we were going to be a middle of the Pac-12 team. They won 11 games this year because of Gardner Minshew. He's got that high football acumen. He went to Mobile and started taking snaps under center when they were in the conference room before the thing even began. He was supposed to be a coach after his career ended, but he played so well at Wazoo this year that he didn't have to do that yet. He can play football still. So I want to see him develop and what he can become because I think that he has... Everyone agrees that he's like a fringe starter, spot starter, slash really high quality backup potential, but I think he might have that it factor that could push him up into a good level quarterback, and I'm not confident in it, but I could see it happening. So Gardner Minshew, for sure. Next question here from Don Sean, at underscore all good. Solidify the secondary, a foundational PC on the D, on the defensive line rather, or make a move for a quarterback in round one if you were calling the shots if it's Murray, make the move for the quarterback. If I can solidify the secondary, I love that pick too. I think it's very underrated. You can never have enough defensive backs in today's NFL, so I'd be all about that. It's just going to depend on value because some of these defensive end prospects we're talking about aren't going to be fits in this Dolphins system. I talked about Zach Allen from Boston College on the podcast yesterday, a 285-pound guy that can bull rush, that can play five-tech, that can two-gap, a guy that can control the line of scrimmage. That's what we're looking for at defensive end, and the rush will probably come from the outside line So we have to be very fluid at linebacker. Next question here from Richard Monroe. He is at Richard Monroe one. How far would you be willing to go up to get Murray given that anything into the top 10 probably costs you two first rounders? Look, I'm going to the top if I have to. I think that Kyler Murray is going to revolutionize the NFL, not in the same way Patrick Mahomes did because it's kind of similar, but I think he has that type of ability where he can take a team from, okay, like the Chiefs were good. They were always good, but now they're great. They're one of the best teams in the NFL. And frankly, in my opinion, probably should have gone to the Super Bowl. I, you just can't put a price on that in the NFL at the quarterback position. A guy that can make plays with both his arms and his legs. That's the future. Do whatever it takes to make that happen. Okay, next question is from Sean. He is at Sean underscore Gian. I hope I said that right, G-I-A-N. Uh, asked about trading back or going up. I've already talked about that, so I just want to give you the shout out there, Sean. Next one here comes from Finsanity at Just the Facts 32 Considering the amount of type of linebackers Flores likes to use, do you think Stefan Anthony could find some new life in this D if he's re-signed? I don't think they'll bring him back because that was a bad trade to begin with. And I just don't think he has much value. He's not there mentally. He's always been slow in processing things. That was his problem in New Orleans. It never got fixed in Miami. So I would just say no and move on from that one. And then you ask about TJ McDonald as a linebacker. I mean, that's what Mark Barron did. So I could see it happening. 
But McDonald, I think, is a one-year rental for next year, and I think he probably leaves the team after that. So I wouldn't bank on him being a future stalwart on this team. All right, guys, I have a lot more questions on here, and I want to answer them. These questions have been fantastic. I'll try to get to as many as these as possible on tomorrow's show. But as for today's show, that is going to be my time. You guys, please remember, if you have a smart speaker, you can listen to the podcast on there. All you got to say is play Locked On Dolphins podcast. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Understood. I know. Can it be?